0: The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. I want to read to you uh, an account in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. You're welcome to follow along, but what I want to do for this moment is to read you the account from the New Living Translation takes out all the bumps in the road. It's a very good translation in the Old Testament, not the New Living Bible, by the way, the New Living Translation. But I want you to hear this story and hear it fresh and hear it new. Really, it's probably better for you to just listen. You're welcome to follow along, but just listen as if you'd never heard this before. King Ahab had a palace in Jezreel. And near the palace was a vineyard owned by a man named Naboth. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to the palace, I would like to buy it to use it as a vegetable garden. And I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What in the world is the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What has made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or to trade it, and he refused. Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel asked. Get up and eat, and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So, she wrote letters in Ahab's name sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and the other leaders of the city where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, Call all the citizens together for fasting and prayer, and give Naboth a place of honor. Find two scoundrels who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast. They put Naboth at the prominent place before the people. Then two scoundrels accused him before all the people of cursing God and the king. So he was dragged out outside the city and stoned to death. Terrible account. In some measures, this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible because Ahab being the king of Israel, Jezebel, who was supposed to be a faithful wife, both were working in their own self-interest, not working after the interests of God. And an absolute selfishness and an absolute pouting selfish rage. They obtained from this man what was rightly his by falsely making an accusation against him. First Kings 21 is really a graphic portrayal of the principle in Proverbs 1821, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue weighs only a few ounces, but it's proven to be the most powerful thing in history. Think about this, the tongue speaking words, the tongue has killed more people in the history of our world than all of the wars combined. We've been studying the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. We're working through the book of Deuteronomy. Let me give you a little orientation. We, we kind of took a, a put it in park for the summer and uh, the TES guys blessed us with their expositions the book of Deuteronomy is the second iteration of the law. Uh, Moses had uh, judged the people uh, on behalf of God and given them the instruction that they were to die off in the wilderness. Moses had been judged by God himself because of his presuming on God, and he was not able to go into the land. But this new generation, all 40 years or younger, stands on the precipice of the new land, about to cross into the Jordan, and Moses takes this opportunity and he reiterates, he repreaches the law. It's not a simple redo of the book of Exodus, because not only does he summarize certain portions, but he preaches certain portions. Moses says, this is what it means. This is how it applies. These are the applications, and these are the implications of what God has commanded in the law. Well, in the middle of that, as we begin, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you can find your way there now. In Deuteronomy 5, a reiteration of the 10 words of Moses. They are almost identical, but some of these commandments have writers, they have clauses, they have footnotes that that, uh, pay particular attention to how they were to be applied. The 10 words of Moses, as the Jews called it, the 10 commandments, uh, are a special group of um, imperatives from the Lord. Let me take you all the way back to the beginning of our study. The Ten Commandments really are are the Bill of Rights, but they're the Bill of Rights not for you and not for me. They're the Bill of Rights not for us as individuals. They are the Bill of Rights for everyone else that we're supposed to tend and steward. God gives us ten words, ten commandments. The first four are how to take care of God and his rights. The second six or how to protect and promote the rights of others around us. You say, what about my rights? Jesus said, the gospel is this, you shall deny yourself. We give up our rights when we come to Christ. Our lives are then reoriented to the great two commandments, which the Lord Jesus Christ uh, encourages in, in commands in, in Matthew chapter 22. We are now to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. The point is, our lives exist to make God glorified and others' lives around us better. They're the Bill of Rights for your neighbor. Let's, let me go over those again. Uh, the first commandment is, "You shall have no other gods before me." That's God's right to exclusive allegiance." And Moses says in this first commandment, "We're to protect God's right to have the absolute allegiance of every human being, no other gods before him." The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, that's God's right and protecting God's right by obeying this to the definition of his image. God cannot be defined by imagination. God cannot be defined by an idol. God is only defined by what he reveals about himself in his word. He's not suspect to the instinct or intuition or imagination of an individual. He says I have the right to define my image. Don't make a cow and say it's me. That's what the children of Israel did back in the great sin. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's God's right to honor and respect. Remember we studied that pretty intensely. It doesn't mean saying cuss words. That could be an application. It means don't take God's name. That word take, Nasa in the Hebrew, means carry or wear. Don't wear God's name in vain. Don't say you belong to Yahweh. Don't say you belong to God and then don't act like it. Really simple. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. That's God's right to tell his creatures what to do whenever he wants them to. He is not willy-nilly about it. He is not flipping about it. He says, there's a pattern. You are to take a day of rest and give your employers a day of rest and even give your animals a day of rest because I rested as a pattern in my creation. He created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And the point is, treat others humanely and treat God with respect. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Now he turns from looking at God's rights and protecting what God's priorities are to others. Remember, this is a mirror of what Jesus said, love the Lord and love others as yourself. How do we love others? By, first of all, starting with our parents. They have a right to respect. Just read the book of Proverbs. There is nothing and few things more ugly on the planet than a child who does not respect their parents. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. That's protecting the rights of others to a pure and holy marriage. In other words, we are never to be a threat to someone else's marriage. Now, for those of you who are single, we're never to be a threat to the purity, even in the future of someone's marriage. Every person, singles you ever date, you ought to be thinking that this is potentially someone else's spouse until I say I do. You're protecting others' right to a pure marriage. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. It's really simple, isn't it? You're protecting the right of others to property. They shouldn't have to worry about their stuff because you steal. Now we come to the next, the last commandment. You shall not bear... I skipped one, didn't I? The fifth commandment is uh, you shall not murder the right of others to life. I seem to be skipping commandments in this series. It's right here in my notes. I don't know what's going on. It's got to be Bob's fault. So um, what was up with that when I skipped that one commandment? We're not going to rehearse that. If you don't know what we're talking about, just glad you're here tonight. Uh, You shall not murder, uh, which is the right of others to life. Now we're to the ninth commandment, which is very simple. Look at Deuteronomy chapter five and verse 20. You shall not bear or make false witness against your neighbor. What is this? This is the right of others to an honest reputation. It's protecting the reputation of those around you. You shall not bear false witness against someone. You shall not lie about them. Say something untrue about them. Say something unkind about them. That will adversely affect their reputation. In other words, the reputation of other people around you is firmly, responsibly, as a stewardship in our hands. Now, the ninth commandment has traditionally been taught and understood to address the subject of lying. It's even translated in some, some uh, editions of the Bible, you shall not lie. That's, that's not a bad translation. It's not a bad application. But it's, it's a smaller part of a bigger issue that's going on here. There's a subtle difference that we need to understand to get the meaning of this divine imperative, this command. There's something very interesting revealed about God in each of these commandments as we've noted. And the attribute of God that's paraded in this commandment is that God is a God of truth. To despise truth is to despise God whose very nature is true. And here in the ninth commandment truth is at issue. Truth is at stake. But it's really important for us to To drill down and to look and to be concerned with with the nuances and applications of this commandment. Look at the verse itself. The prohibition is against giving a false witness. The language is that of lying under oath. Literally, the the Hebrew says, do not lie under an oath... In a court of law, in fact, the context is clearly legal. If you go to chapter uh, 23 of Exodus, uh, you'll see that you're not to bear false witness in a legal proceeding before a judge or before a jury or before a, a person who is in the in the village to give uh, uh, oversight to the, the community. You're not to bear false witness against someone else. Don't lie against someone. It's exactly... What these people did, these scoundrels, I love how the New Living Translation addresses that. These scoundrels handled Naboth. They provided a lie, a false witness. They said something wrong about his reputation and it was embraced. It was believed when you put Exodus 20, the first iteration of the 10 words of Moses, and Deuteronomy 5, uh, side by side, the emphasis is of defaming a person's character through lies and or lack of telling the whole truth. Remember what our parents told us when we were kids? A half-truth is a whole what? Lie. Think about it for a moment. The ninth commandment is really all about Character assassination or character protection that is firmly within your power. We wield unspeakable power by the very fact that we can talk about a person. And let's be honest, all of us have wielded that power positively in the past. We've said things that were exonerating, that were that were helpful to people, but let's be equally as honest to say all of us have damaged the reputation of someone by what we said. Today we have forensic labs that represent a science of gathering evidence. We have surveillance cameras, DNA testing, fingerprinting, etc. that help to find out the truth. But none of this was available during Moses' time. The only thing you had to go on was what someone said about someone else. For the ancient Jew, guilt or innocence depended upon the honesty of a witness and his or her integrity. That's a simple command. Let's break it down into two parts, okay? Two applications of the ninth commandment. The first application is this. Refuse to speak words that wound. Words that wound. Now, the reason I said words that wound, those could be truths that are not fully explained or mistruths that are wrongly applied they wound they're intended specifically to wound the reputation of someone that you know assassinating someone's character someone's reputation undermining their 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 being their standing in a person's mind We've talked about this before in the, in the idea of a name. We talk about, we protect God's name. Jesus says, I proclaim to you God's name. What was in a name? A name is everything in the Bible and it should still be applied as everything today. You say, what do you mean by that? Every single time your name is mentioned in a conversation when you're not there, just the mention of our names brings up a world of reputation. Everything that someone knows about you is instantly accessible to the imagination of someone when they just mention your name. So, whatever you say in the absence of someone that has to do with promoting or bringing down that person and their name is at stake in the ninth commandment. Here it's forbidden to speak words that wound you. Well, it may not happen in a single atomic bomb kind of conversation, but maybe laying a mental minefield in a person's mind about someone else, just a simple suggestion that causes suspicion, slander, gossip, flattery, exaggeration, carelessness, insinuation, even silence. Even silence can be a false witness against someone else. If given the opportunity to defend the right uh, nature of someone's reputation, the right nature of an interaction, of an action that happened, that you could correct a false, even silence can be will be construed by God as a violation of the ninth commandment. Now, a footnote, that doesn't mean that we're the police. We have to go everywhere, all over the world, making sure that we have to, have to uh, nuance everyone's character. It means when we're in the, in the position in a conversation of controlling what's thought about someone and given the microphone, as it were, that we speak the truth and the whole truth and what? Nothing but the truth. More times than not, words that wound are spoken from selfishness from self promoting desires. Typically, jealousy is the culprit. But it could also be selfish gain, like Ahab, just plain old meanness. meanness. It could be revenge. They didn't honor me, so I'm not going to honor them. I know they said bad things about me, so I'm going to say bad things about them. Listen, nobody loves a liar. And there's no description or reputation more difficult to overcome than being a liar. Why? John eight forty-four. You are of your father the devil, and do his deeds. He was a liar from the beginning. You know what the word devil is translated as, you know what the, the, the Greek word means? The accuser. Just like these people who accuse Naboth. It's the accuser. It's someone with whom a reputation is entirely unsafe because lies are going to be told. Can you just take a, a, a mark this in your Bible, mark, mark your finger in Deuteronomy, turn over to James chapter 3. We can't skip James 3 in any discussion of the power of the tongue It's worth reading in its entirety, the 12 verses that deal with this. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we stumble in many ways. If, watch this, if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Do you understand what James is saying? There's no one who's going to do this. But he was saying, if you can be perfect in what you say, you're perfect. Why would he say that? Because Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And since... Lies and murders issue forth from the heart. No man's tongue is going to be pure. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that Isaiah, the prophet of Israel, in Isaiah 6, when he sees his own sinfulness in the vision of the glory of God, the angel takes the tongues and picks up a coal and touches him where? On his lips. And what does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. His very first conscientious revelation that he was in trouble before God was he knew about his mouth. Verse 3. Now if we put, gives an illustration, bits in the horse's mouth that, uh, so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. It's an interesting illustration. Uh, if you know anything about horses, the smaller the bit the more severe the training. Smaller bits have more bite to them. You can direct a massive animal with a tiny piece of steel, only a few ounces. Just like the tongue. Look at the ships, he says. Another illustration. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires we were in san diego a few years ago there is a uh, parked um a destroyer there and actually it's an aircraft carrier and we were able to do a tour of it and we went down and looked at the rudder there were two dual rudders on this aircraft carrier massive it's a couple of football yards uh links long and these rudders are are really no higher than i am and they're just really small you can direct that entire ship with those little bitty rudders And that's the point. He goes on. So also is the tongue. It's a very small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. He gives another illustration. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Smokey the bear is right. A small little flame can catch an entire forest ablaze. Then he uses a double entendre. He uses the illustration And also the application, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members, the, the body parts, as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. An unbeliever's tongue has a pipeline to hell. That's the point. For every species of beasts and birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Um, One of the wonders of life, and I mean this, is to go to SeaWorld. To see these orca whales tamed, to see dolphins jumping and seals acting, it's amazing that man can tame and train these animals. Specifically to see a, an Indian elephant that's trained will bend down and let you climb aboard, will put out its, its leg to let it give you a step. Amazing training. You can train the animals, James says. But, verse 8, no one can tame the tongue It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Look how fickle the tongue is. Look how fickle our mouths are. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Oh, we'll pray and praise God. We'll sing songs and then go out and attack and absolutely assassinate someone's character when they're made in his likeness, in his image. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What is he saying? He's saying your heart drives your tongue. What you, who you are defines and dictates what we say It's interesting he talks about this poison. This poison is at application here and at issue in the ninth commandment. What's the poison of the tongue? Let me give you a little grocery list, okay? Gossip. Gossip is rarely full of truth. Oh, it may have some truth, but it leaves certain things out and adds certain descriptions as well. In fact, gossip is the opposite of flattery. Flattery is where you say something to someone that that may or may not be true, but it's intended only to make them feel a certain way so that you get something better out of the relationship. Those are the opposite. Gossip is saying something behind a person's back you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying something to someone's face you would never be heard saying behind their back. Exaggeration, stretching the truth. Someone said, for a preacher, that's called being evangelistic. Criticism, which is basically elevating ourselves to the position of judge, pronouncing judgments on people. Complaining, which is the sin against God, dissatisfaction with him, his plans. When we complain, are you ready for this? We're bearing false witness against God. We're saying, God's providence, God's sovereignty is not good enough for me. Let me just tell you how I feel and how the world ought to run. Then, of course, lying. Just telling things that aren't true. I was brutally convicted several years ago when um, I was involved in a conversation that I I really regret now. Uh, There were three of us and one guy drew me into talking about another friend. And I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I can remember exactly what I said right now. And the third guy was silent for a while. And then finally he spoke up and he said, you know, even if these things are true, and I doubt they are, so he said, does this honor our friend and he gave his name? Oh man. And then he turned the knife in my heart. He said, I suspect that so and so would desperately want to hear what we're saying here because I know he wants to please the Lord and be sanctified. So I'm going to give you till tomorrow night to tell them, and if you don't, I will. The massive seismic shift in the way I thought about gossip and slander. In the context here in Deuteronomy 5, it's about going to court, just like Naboth did, going to a council and bearing false witness, saying something false to create an attitude and a disposition in someone so that they make a conclusion about someone's character which is fundamentally wrong. That's the prohibition. Pretty simple, isn't it? But I think implied in this commandment is another side. It's the other side of the coin. Not only should we refuse to say words that wound, but are you ready for this? You know where it's going, right? Number two, refuse to hear words that wound. That's what my friend did in the story wasn't a story, I wish it was a story, in the narrative. Refused to hear or entertain words that wound. You know what the largest selling newspaper in America is? The National Enquirer. Why is that? Because the entire paper, which is at, seems like, every checkout stand of every grocery store and drugstore in the history of the planet, that whole newspaper is intended to bear false witness. We love to hear gossip. We love, it's attractive. Proverbs says, it's a morsel that goes down so smoothly. But James tells us, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Can you imagine going to prayer and talking about someone in a gossiping way and God saying, ah, you're right. You're right, we should get him. What's God's disposition about things that are true, things that are being said? As Christians, we should seek to cover the sins and weaknesses of others and deal with those sins and those weaknesses personally and privately. Psalm 15 describes the man of integrity There's a series of lists. And one of the things it says in Psalm 15 describing a man who can ascend to the holy hill to worship is this. He does not take up a reproach against his friend. Wow. He won't listen to false witness. It's the kind of person who will not even hear questionable things about a person without rebuking the gossiper. Why? It all goes back to the heart. Jesus says, "From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak, uh, speaks." Jesus also said that the, the primary, that the summary of everything I, I, I dictated and said and recorded in the Old Testament comes down to two things: love God, love others. So, in this ninth commandment, as in the final six, it's all about loving other people. Bearing false witness is hating someone. Being untrue, unkind, irreverent. The question is not do we bear a false witness but how do we solve our false witness bearing and hearing. It can be exaggerating something or not telling something. There's a friend I have who I know who I just marvel at. You cannot extract from him a negative comment about someone. It's just so encouraging. You just can't get him to say anything bad. He finds something gracious and some measure or evidence of grace in everyone he talks about. And if you go down the road of, you know, what about that? He goes, ah, isn't it good, though, that God is a forgiving God and he's forgiven them of that and you and me way more than that? You, you can't get any traction in even talking or gossiping or bearing false witness. That's the kind of friend that I want to be. What would Mission Road Bible Church be like if, if that was the absolute commitment of, of us and the body to one another? That we have each other's back? Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are true, that are bad, that need confronting. That's part of our book we're going to read. How do we confront each other in love and care? We need that. It's an application of the gospel. The gospel is not just a Christmas story, and it's not just the Easter story. The gospel is that Jesus Christ not only died for our sins in our place on the cross, not only rose from the dead, to prove who he was, but he also changes lives and makes us able to obey these commandments. He makes us want to obey these commandments. What kind of witness bearer are you? James says it so clearly. Your tongue sets the trajectory of your life. Give me, I'm not an expert, so let's, let's be gracious. Give me two hours on a road trip with someone in a car, and I can tell you what their heart's like. And they'll be able to tell you what mine's like as well. What do you talk about? How do we talk? How do we talk about others? Do we bear an honest witness, or do we bear a false witness? I was—I'm um, still involved in a uh, relatively high-profile court case that stretches back some years. I had to give a deposition uh, back in December. I'll likely have to give a couple more in this court case. Um, it was very interesting. The—the the attorney is is a believer, and uh, he was so encouraging when we were preparing for the deposition. I knew we got together basically a whole day to prepare for the next day's deposition. And what I was expecting was that we would corroborate facts, we would make sure this and make sure I said that, make sure I didn't say this. He would really coach me. And you know what he said? He said, I want to go over all these emails and all this stuff that, that we need to go over the, the factuality of it and tell you some things that you're probably going to be asked. He said, this is, this is the only thing I want to tell you. Just tell the truth. If you just tell the truth, you're going to be fine and God will be honored. And then he said this, tell the truth even if it doesn't support our case just tell the truth that's an application of the ninth commandment just tell the truth now all of us know you don't have to tell all the truth all the time if it's hurtful right? husbands we know this Is this a pretty dress? That's a lovely dress. You don't say, that's an ugly dress. Anything our wife wears is a pretty dress, right? Amen? (laughs) Amen. That's good. Speak the truth with love, but you don't bear a false, ungodly witness. In 1939, war broke out in Europe after Germany invaded Poland began World War II in 1941. Japan attacked the U.S. Navy base at Pearl Harbor, bringing the United States into the war. And those of you who are war historians know it's the first time, and probably, frankly, with resources, the only time in history that our country was able to be involved in two theaters of war. We were involved in the European War as well as the South Pacific War. Amazing stretching of resources. At one point, uh, there were communities that had two out of three males of fighting age uh, in the war. Pearl Harbor was attacked in 1941. The United States was drawn into it. Japan then began a systematic invasion of British, Dutch, and American colonies in the Pacific. And by their own admission, the Japanese, quote, were not going to surrender. No matter what, well, no matter what dissolved in 1945, the United States forced Japan to surrender by utilizing the most feared weapon of war ever devised. On August 6th, the first atomic bomb was dropped in warfare, first time it was used in warfare. The U.S. plane Enola Gay dropped an atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Three days later, because the Japanese still wouldn't surrender, on August 9th, a second atom bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. And altogether, in that mo- those moments of the bomb, 120,000 people died immediately. Countless thousands died later as a result of the bomb. Japan immediately surrendered And the war in the East was then over. But in the days and the weeks and the months and the years and even decades following up to today, the most debated issue in warfare is the use of such massive force. The atomic bomb is believed worldwide to be the most dangerous and powerful force in the world. World summits are held every year regularly, even more than that, to make sure that such force is kept in check. Can I suggest to you, though, that the tongue is even more powerful than that? And it goes unchecked every day. As I said before, it is an unchallenged statement that the tongue over the course of of time and man has killed more people than any war. Not even an arsenal of nuclear weapons can keep the tongue in check. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: life and death are in the power of the tongue. History is a graveyard dug by the power of false witnesses. Words have power. More damage and carnage has been done and left by words than any other force known to man and not even an arsenal of every weapon can keep the tongue in check. It can't be tamed. When I was a kid, I learned a little rhyme. You know it well. It was the worst lie anyone ever told me. Here's the lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones But words will never hurt me. Can I just tell you, I have have broken a lot of bones. I have kept the suture industry in business over the course of my life. I've had bumps and bruises and dislocations and breaks. They hurt for a while and they're gone. But words hurt way worse than that. In this moment, standing right here before you, I can think of a conversation I had standing outside a classroom, chemistry to be exact, In high school, where two guys and a girl, there were three of them standing there, said something to me and about me that I would... It's not hard to well up with tears with how hurtful that word was. And that was, I don't want to do the math, a long time ago. Words matter. Bearing a false witness matters. Life and death are in the power of what we say. But it won't be self-control that helps us do that. You can't try harder to be in control of your tongue. The only thing that mitigates the power of the tongue is the power of the gospel. The only thing that makes attractive, pleasing God is what Christ did for us on the cross, not just being good guys or good gals. Ninth Commandment says, you protect the reputation of others. Are the reputations of the people that we know safe with us because we love the Savior? Let's pray together. Father, I am convicted even all the more thinking about words I've said, words I've heard that I should have stopped. Give us fresh grace sweet forgivenesses, new commitment. I pray that we are a truth-telling church never to bear a false witness, speaking truth in love, and also being careful that we don't receive mistruths. We don't receive gossip and slander and flattery. But challenge it in a gracious and godly way like the Lord Jesus would. So give us insight into the use of our own tongues. Give us insight into their power. Not only for harm, but Lord, teach us that so is life in the power of our tongue. I, I know things that men said to me decades ago that had life-changing drastic, traumatic, radical influence in my life for the better. Help us to love our neighbor as ourself by not bearing false witness against them. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.